0: Hey, everybody, and welcome to night three of our delight book reading. I'm Justin Rosso from Next Step Press, and this will also be season four, episode three of the Next Step podcast. If you don't know about the Next Step podcast, I'm putting the audio from these Facebook live readings on the Next Step podcast. There's all other kinds of fun stuff on there, too. Uh, Just found out that you can now say, Alexa, play the podcast, Find My Next Step, and you'll be able to hear the Next Step podcast right from your Alexa. So give that a try sometime. Uh, Maybe when we're done here, you'll be able to hear either last night's episode or tonight's episode. Just the audio, though. So tonight we're reading again from this book on delight. It is October 7th. It's been another beautiful day in Michigan. Really windy today, though. The the leaves are all changing colors. The wind was whipping off the lake. Whitecaps on Lake Chemung here between Brighton, Michigan and Howell, Michigan. Uh, If you know our story, you know we're adventuring. We're living with Miriam's mom, Joni, here in Brighton. Uh, Joni's out with her Aunt Elva, taking care of her. So hello to Aunt Elva and to to Mom Kay. So so good you guys could be with us tonight as well. Tonight we're looking at Chapter 4, Delicious Delight. Uh, we've already looked at that kind of opening image of mutual delight between a parent and a child. And then we've been kind of taking this this word cloud idea, biblical in, in Hebrew and in Greek, the biblical word cloud for this concept of delight. I don't know how often you use the word delight. Maybe you would say joy or excitement or pleasure or Uh, Whatever the word it is that you would use, delight is that kind of joyful response, that intimacy between two people that brings uh, rejoicing and joy. So we've looked at already in in our first two podcasts, the first three chapters, we looked at, uh, first of all, joyful delight, things that make you go, woohoo! And then we looked at thoughtful delight, things that make you go "Wow!" You know, it just—it fits together. It all comes together, and you can see the big picture and how all the pieces work. And then uh, in in chapter three last night, we got to look at things that uh, things that make you go "Wee!" Uh, That'd be playful delight, Sha'ah in Hebrew. So whether you're just joining us now or uh, you've been here all along, welcome. I'm so glad you're here, as we get to take a next step following Jesus together. Hey, uh, one more thing before we start. Uh, My wife last night invited some people on Facebook to watch with her, and she even started a watch party, and that kind of drove some some interest and some participation, and that's really great. So maybe that'd be something you might want to try one of these nights. Host a watch party or invite your friends to come in as well. You can watch it live or after the fact, but it's just kind of fun to have more people involved. Already in the first two nights, we've had over a thousand people tune in combined between the two, and we just love to keep the momentum going. So uh, thanks for joining us. Invite some friends, some family members as we dig into delight. Now, tonight we're looking at Chapter 4, Delicious Delight, Things That Make You Go Yum. What are some of your most favorite things to eat? I'm not just talking comfort food here. I mean the bite that when you put it in your mouth makes you go, Mmm, oh man, yum. Is that good? Oh, wow. Oh, does, does anybody have a napkin? That mouth-watering, delicious, flavorful, scrummy kind of wonderful. Do You know what I mean? My great-grandmother made a coffee cake with large, plump raisins and a white icing that wasn't too sweet with just the right amount of spice so that when you put it in your mouth, the sharp spice and the juicy raisins and the touch of icing combined with the moist cake to melt in your mouth and make you go... Yum! A bar and grill down the street from us has a coriander-crusted ahi tuna on their menu. They take sushi-grade tuna and dust it with ground coriander and then sear it at high heat so the coriander forms a thin crust, but the center of the tuna is still bright pink and juicy. And then they drizzle it with a magic honey, butter, and citrus sauce, that just drips off your fork. One bite and you start guarding your plate from people who like to share food at restaurants. <laughs> uh, Scott, my brother-in-law, that's a that that one's dedicated to you. Hey, my mom and dad just started a fa- my my mom and dad started a family tradition 2 years before I was born that has continued on to the third and one day fourth generations. New Year's Day morning, we always celebrate with a steak and eggs brunch. Of course, the steak must be charcoal grilled. And of course, most years that means shoveling snow to get to the grill or find the grill and maybe even chipping ice out of the bottom. But when those steaks come in steaming out of the cold and the meat is red and juicy all the way and pink all the way through, salted to perfection, and you get that bite of summer in the dead of the long, cold winter. It makes the new year seem full of possibilities. If you take the fish you just caught, and, and I've done this, with walleye and crappie in Michigan, with sand bass and striper in Texas, and with snapper, grouper, and mackerel in Florida. I'd like to add northern pike to that list after this last summer. If you take fresh fish you just caught that day and saute it in butter, olive oil, lemon juice and chef Paul Proudhon's blackened redfish magic until it starts to fall apart. But while it is still firm and then spoon that beautiful flaky fish into warm, fresh corn tortillas and cover it with a slaw made up of shredded cabbage, lemon juice, mayonnaise, salt and pepper and fresh chopped white onion and then squeeze a slice of lemon on top You will think you have died and gone to heaven. I could mention the Amaretto Italian ice cream I found in a cafe in northern Germany, or real Lübecker marzipan covered in dark chocolate and eaten in the city of Lübeck, or the glass of Rhine wine I drank one golden afternoon on a ferry ride down the Rhine. Or the red wine I shared with my wife at a small winery up in the mountains of Colorado when the owner invited us back to pour and cork our own bottles to take home. Or the butterhorn recipe passed down from my wife's grandmother to my daughter that draws delighted oohs and ahs from the crowd every Christmas. But perhaps the most wonderful taste explosion I have ever But perhaps the most wonderful taste explosion I ever had came from a cookbook sold by the University Musical Society in Ann Arbor, Michigan, one season when I was the associate conductor of their choral union and my wife sang alto. First, you skin and core a fresh pineapple and cut it into thick rings. Then you grind whole peppercorns in a mortar and pestle. Not too finely, mind you. You want big chunks of peppercorn that you now press firmly but gently into the flesh of the pineapple. Spray the fruit lightly with olive oil on both sides, then sear on a very hot charcoal grill. It won't take long, but make sure you get a good crosshatch marks on both sides. Placing each grilled pineapple ring onto an individual dessert plate, scoop a large helping of quality vanilla bean ice cream into the center. Then drizzle the whole thing with the reduction of almost equal parts orange juice, triple sec, tequila, and honey that you've had simmering on the back burner for the last half hour. When you take that first bite of the warm, juicy pineapple and get the sharp bite of the peppercorn, the cold, creamy vanilla wetted to the sweet but tangy drizzle, your mouth throws a party in your honor with streamers, balloons, confetti, and a big band rented out for the evening. Just talking about it makes me, mm, I... I think I need a napkin. The witness of Scripture seems to think God's word is like that. We get the delight concept, if not the vocabulary word, in Psalm 119, How sweet are your words to my taste, Mm, sweeter than honey to my mouth. That's verse 103 in the NIV. And when the text says, honey, honey, I'm pretty sure there's a variant reading or a medieval gloss or a patristic allegory that translates that word as the reduction of almost equal parts orange juice, triple sec, tequila, and honey that you've had simmering on the back burner for the last hour drizzled over a scoop of vanilla ice cream cradled in a grilled pineapple pineapple ring pressed with cracked peppercorn or something like that. God's word, when we chew on it, and ponder it, and meditate on it, brings with it a special variety of delight. Delicious delight. Receiving and internalizing God's Word is like eating food that not only sustains and nourishes, but food that delights. We'll we'll get into that more in chapter 11, God's word propels your adventure. As Jesus feeds and nourishes and delights you with the word, he also feeds and nourishes and delights you with his very self. Delicious delight is not just an image of savoring God's word. It's an image of savoring the very presence of the almighty God. Psalm 34, 8 says in the NIV, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. And Psalm 37 gets us back to the vocabulary of delight. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. So it's not just God's words that are a delicious delight, but the divine person. God's presence, God's personality, God's delight in us And we are invited to taste and savor and relish and enjoy God. In fact, to delight yourself in the Lord is to receive from God the desires of your heart. In this case, the Hebrew word for desire has to do with a request or petition. I'm asking for this because I want it. We'll meet the desire word that has to do with delight momentarily. The delight word in Psalm 37, anog, analog with a silent al, comes from a noun oneg, rhymes with no leg, that refers to something delectable, dainty, tender, and therefore delicious. Oneg, daintiness, tender or delectable, an exquisite delight. Approaching God like that, treating the very presence of the Almighty as something delectable and delicious, results in the granting of your requests and petitions, the fulfillment of the desires of your heart. In other words, if you let your taste buds become enthralled with the flavor of the presence of the great I Am, then what you long for most will begin to shift toward what God has been wanting to give you all along. Your desire will shift to what Jesus is giving you as Jesus gives you himself. I don't mean this in some hyper-religious sleight of hand that transforms the thing you really wanted all along into the thing you're supposed to want if you are a real Christian. This isn't the... Uber cheesy evangelism technique of leaving something that looks like money on the restaurant table, but is really just a note that says, "Here's a tip. Jesus loves you." Have you ever seen that? I've actually seen something like that before. It's actually horrifying. Uh, so we're not talking bait and switch here. As you come to savor God and God's presence as its own delight, now this this is important. Scoot scoot closer to the screen. (laughs) As you come to savor God and God's presence as its own delight, rather than as a means to some other desired delight, your prayer life will actually change. The things you want, and therefore the things you ask for, will begin to shift. I'm not saying Jesus won't give you the specific blessing you've been praying for, just that the more you experience Jesus himself as the thing that gives you pleasure, that fulfills your hunger, that gives you delight, the more likely it is that the specific blessing you had set your heart on begins to pale in comparison with the true delight of your relationship with Jesus, both now and in the life of the world to come. I remember praying for a sports car when I was 10. I mean, we're supposed to bring before God the desires of our hearts, right? I guess that sort of childish prayer treats God like a great vending machine in the sky. If I can figure out how to put the right amount of change in, I can get something yummy to drop down here where I can pick it up. But you don't have a relationship with a vending machine. Outside of that transaction, why would you? I began to learn more about prayer when I learned to savor a relationship with God instead of trying to figure out the right transaction to get what I really wanted all along. Once you've developed a palate for the presence of Jesus, a Lamborghini well, just just doesn't taste the same. At least... That's what I think Psalm 37, verse 4 is getting at. Delight, anog, yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. I don't think that means if you will just go through the right religious motions, God will give you what you want. Instead, I think it means if you stop just going through the religious motions and learn to take delight in the presence and the person of God. The desires of your heart will begin to migrate towards the desire of God's heart. And when the desires of your heart align with the desires of God's heart, I think we might be back to mutual delight. Loving and being loved, mom smiling into the face of her son until her joy and his joy overflow in love and laughter. Perhaps it's a matter of focus. As long as you are focused on yourself, you will never get the thing that delights you most because you will never find complete delight in anything should probably say that again, huh? Perhaps it's a matter of focus. As long as you are focused on yourself, you'll never get the thing that delights you most because you'll never find complete delight in anything. As you begin to take your eyes off of yourself and what you want, and as you begin to focus on God and what God wants to give, you begin to take delight in all kinds of things you hadn't even noticed before. Enjoying Jesus means enjoying everything else in your life in a new way. I think God actually promises something very similar. That the contrast in Isaiah 53 is between taking delight in your own words or wants or ways and taking delight in God's words and God's gifts and God's ways. Indeed, taking pleasure in God's person and work. The Hebrew word for pleasure or desire in Isaiah 53 is not the petition or request word we met in Psalm 37, anog. This pleasure is a delight word kefets the che is pronounced k kefets and it has something to do with it and it has kefets has to do with something that you desire because it brings you pleasure or delight kefets delight pleasure desire or longing in a kind of wordplay that pleasurable desirable delight is contrasted with a delicious delight. Oneg rhymes with no leg. In Isaiah 53, verses 13 to 14. Both words mean delight. What's at stake is where you find your delight. Are your eyes focused inward on yourself? Or have you begun to take delight in the things God wants to give? I'll give you the Hebrew as as I read these verses from Isaiah 53. This is Isaiah, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, Everywhere where I said 53, I meant 58. Uh, It's been corrected in later editions of the book. So uh, if yours says Isaiah 53 on the middle of page 34, but it quotes Isaiah 58 in the bottom of page, you have a collector's edition, one of the first 25 sold. You should celebrate and rejoice that you've got a rare edition of the book. Okay, so we're on the bottom of page 34, and I'm going to read to you Isaiah 58, 13 to 14, and we're paying attention to this wordplay between two different kinds of delight. There's kafets, this pleasurable delight, and oneg, that delicious delight. But the point is, are you focused on you and your words and your desires, or are you focused on God? Here's what it sounds like in Isaiah 58. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure, kafets. On my holy days, and call the Sabbath a delight, oneg, and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it not going your own ways, or seeking your own pleasure, caphets, or talking idly, that is speaking your own words, then you shall take delight, anog, in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father, for the mouth of Yahweh has spoken. Notice what comes first. If you take a delicious, savory delight in the word, command, promise of Sabbath rest in God's presence, then you will develop a palate for enjoying the delicious, savory delight of God's person. Indeed, you will be fed by God's own hand or mouth. It said the mouth of the Lord Is this a baby bird image? I I don't think so, but it makes you wonder. You will be fed by God's own hand with the promise Yahweh first gave to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Learning to delight in the Sabbath is the culinary prerequisite to learning to delight in God for God's own sake. Hmm. hmm what if, what if I came to worship as if it were a joy, expecting to delight in God's words, commands, and promises? What if I approached Scripture as if it were a delight, sweeter than honey on the tongue, so delicious I can't get enough? What if I took an attitude of delight to my prayer life, and instead of prayer being the last leftovers of whatever time remains at the end of a full day, those moments became, for me, chocolate chip cookies still warm out of the oven. Or the lobster bisque they serve at the upscale restaurant under the shadow of the St. Louis Arch. Or the crust that would form on Grandma's vanilla ice cream when she poured Verners over it on a hot summer afternoon at the farm. What if I took a delicious delight in the things God commands, the things Jesus intends to bring me closer to him? Do you think I would begin to take more delight in God's person and God's presence? God thinks so. In fact, God promised, Call the Sabbath a delight, oneg. Then you will take delight, anog, in the Lord, and I will feed you. Or again, hear the gracious invitation of Isaiah 52, 1-2. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread, and your labor on what does not satisfy? listen. Listen to me and eat what is good, and your soul will (laughs) delight, anog, delicious delight in the richest affairs. That reminds me of something Jesus once said. Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. That's John 6, 26 to 27. Hey, remember that Lamborghini I was praying for when I was 10? I wonder if that is included I wonder if that isn't included in the category of food that spoils. I wonder what else I hunger and thirst for that might seem to taste good as cotton candy to a 10-year-old but leaves me with a sugar headache and a sick stomach. But the conversation in John chapter 6 isn't finished. Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus says he is the heavenly bread or food that gives life, even eternal life, to the world. And if you immediately jumped to Holy Communion when you heard those words, my problem is not with your sacramental theology Actually, the doctrine of real presence, that that Jesus is somehow physically but mysteriously present in, with, and under the bread and wine, makes more sense of the biblical witness to me than any other way of understanding the Lord's Supper. My problem with drawing a straight line from John 6 to communion is first, that it narrows the scope of the text drastically. And second, that the dry bland, almost cardboard wafer and the mass-produced sip of grape product you're likely to experience on a regular basis is a two-dimensional black-and-white tintype compared to the 4K HD surround sound experience I think Jesus has in mind. This Jesus is, after all, The guy who in John 2 keeps the party going by turning the jugs of water set aside for the ritual cleansing of your hands into the most delicious wine the steward of the wedding reception had ever tasted. It's like Jesus took the premise that if I just go through all the religious motions, God will give me what I want and turned it on its head. Stop just going through the religious motions and learn to take delight in God for God's own sake. And the desires of your heart will begin to migrate toward the desires of God's heart. Although it would be a practical impossibility for reasons of finance as well as personal preference, I could wish that the bread you had at communion was, by far and away, the best bite of food you had all week. That the richest, most delicious, most full-bodied wine you ever tasted was while kneeling at the rail. Because when Jesus gives you himself, In the promise of the Lord's Supper on Sunday, or in his word of promise during the week, when Jesus gives you himself, he is not asking you for your own good to choke down some health food shake with unidentifiable chunks of nutrients that taste even worse than it smells. Rather, Jesus is inviting you to experience and to explore the delicate balance and delightful bouquet of a wine fit for the banquet table of heaven. Jesus is inviting you to enjoy and relish the most succulent morsel you have ever had the pleasure of savoring. When Jesus commands you to treat his word of promise and his command to rest in his presence as something delicious, Jesus knows full well that having drunk from that vintage and tasted that eternal food, you will find a new definition of delight. Following Jesus isn't supposed to be a bland and heavy burden. Following Jesus is a delicious delight. Jesus gives you himself. Mmm, yum! What the crowd said in confusion, we pray in faith. Sir, always give us this bread. Amen. That was chapter four, Delicious Delight, from the book Delight, Discipleship as the Adventure of Loving and Being Loved from Next Step Press. You can order a copy in the description or find out more about it at, uh, community.findmynextstep.org. Hey, thanks for joining us tonight. Look forward to spending some time with you again tomorrow at 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Central. If you get a chance, I'd love to field some questions. We read two chapters yesterday, so we'll have a free day on Friday. If you've got some questions about the Delight book or about Next Step Press or about what's going on with me and my family, I'd love to hear those. You can put them in the comments of this Facebook video. You can post them in our Next Step Community Facebook group. You can email them to me, justin at findmynextstep.org. Uh, I'd even love to see one of your favorite most delicious family recipes. I I know I kind of went on at the beginning of that book uh, on and on with those recipes and my my hope was that as you read the book you'd get to you know like the second one and be like all right I know I know what he's talking about and then you'd read the third one and kind of roll your eyes and read the fourth one and all of a sudden you'd notice that you're kind of you know, salivating a little bit. And by the time you get to like that fifth one, the one with the grilled pineapple, oh man, is that good? You finally like gave in and let yourself experience the imagination of that flavor, that explosion. That's what I was going for. Uh, Whether it worked or not, I'll let you tell me. But hey, thanks for joining me. It's always glad to have you here in the Next Step community. We'll see you next time at Next Step Press.